Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you are listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. With me, as always, is Reverend Dr. David Gushy. How are you this morning, David? I'm great, Jeremy. Good morning. Good morning. Excited about... I think this episode will grab a lot of people's attention because it's overlap with our contemporary situation. We've looked at the French Revolution and some of the the wake and lead up to that. Last episode, we talked about the rumblings of reactionary ARC. What's the A? Authoritarian. Authoritarian reactionary Christianity in Germany. And today we find ourselves in Putin's Russia. Why have you done this to us? Uh, I would say that Putin is the first case of, um, I mean, a way to understand his awful regime is as an authoritarian reactionary Christian project. Now, I've been hearing that, a lo- I've been hearing about Putin's Christianity a lot since the invasion of Ukraine, which I had never heard spoken about before. I've never heard people talking about Russia as an Orthodox Christian nation or empire, and I've never heard people highlighting Putin's devout Orthodox Christianity until this recent moment. Well, um, it it is it has a longer um, it has a longer history to it, um, but. It has definitely been accelerated since the invasion of Ukraine because he used that language to justify the invasion of Ukraine. The Christians going in to denazify. Uh-huh. And to which of course is absurd. Um, but to deliberalize is essentially what the Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill said. Um there's a <laughs> this is um Right after the invasion, the Russian Orthodox Patriarch said said this. Um, um, Gay parades are designed to demonstrate that sin is one of the variations of human behavior. That's why in order to enter the club of those countries, that is the West, it is necessary to hold a gay parade. And we know how people resist these demands and how this resistance is suppressed by force. Translation, the Ukrainian government has been suppressing the faithful Orthodox of Ukraine to make them support gay parades, gay rights parades. This is this is the same argument as they're forcing it on our kids. It is, yeah. So it's about force imposing the sin condemned by God's law. And therefore, by force, imposing on people the, the denial of God and his truth. Therefore, what is happening today in the field of international relations is about human salvation, where humanity will be, on which side of God the Savior. So that's that's an interesting religious uh, legitimation of an invasion of a sovereign country um, on the basis of the claim that we're just protecting the righteous believers there from having to, to be subjected by force to the gay rights movement. So they're, they're acting on American evangelical talking points that the church is under siege. The, uh, the idea the the desire for persecution that you see in American evangelicalism, 
um, which is the the water that I grew up swimming in, where we were. I was trained to withstand persecution. I was told about it, talked about it, very nearly trained to resist torture for the sake of they're coming for the church, and we all know it. And you know, in Russia, you have you have this specific history. This is true in the East of Europe in general. You had um, prior to the communist revolution uh, that uh, toppled the czarist regime forever in 1917, you had a... Uh, one of the deepest marriages of throne and altar anywhere. The Tsar, the Russian Orthodox Church married to the Tsarist regime, right? The uh, the Archbishop lived in the palaces. You mean at times, you mean right? The, the patriarch? Yeah, the ecumenical patriarch of yeah. the Russian Orthodox Church was he lived with the aristocrats. Uh, I did not know that, but I wouldn't be surprised. At so, certain times. So, he, he always had an apartment, but at certain times he just lived with the court and might as well have been one of them. Well, there you go. And then the communist revolution comes along and it is even more fiercely anti-religious than the French revolution was. And the Russian Orthodox church state regime is shattered um, in a atheistic communist revolution. Um, and the Russian Orthodox Church is stripped of its power uh, and in many ways persecuted. So you have a persecution narrative based on reality. There's an right. image that has haunted my imagination in the, the sort of that the, the rise of communism and its early, those early tumultuous days of the revolution. There's a photograph of icons lined up outside of a church that have all been shot in the head. Really? Of the icons that were lined, they took the clergy and the icons out of the church and in front of the congregation assassinated all of them, murdered the clergy and the icons, the saints, the angels, the image wow. of Christ gunned down in front of the church. And that must have been this existentially horrific moment that so, feels different than a lot of the other scenes. So, to me. One, one way to think about. Like so, if you're studying different countries, you have to know this history. Remember that the the gradual democratization of England, there was there was a revolution in the mid six mid seventeenth century, but eventually they stopped being revolutionary and they made incremental change. In the U.S., our uh, national revolution was not an anti-religious one, as we've mentioned before. Um, in France it was anti-religious and, and there was constant back and forth about it. Um, in, in Russia, you had a high end <laughs> Uber marriage of church and state and the czarist regime, and then a radical shift over to secular atheistic communism that was anti-church. When that regime finally collapses in, uh, you know, 1990, 1991, um, Russia, had about 10 years to figure out what it was going to be, it turns out. Um, what kind, And this is actually true all over the Eastern Europe, and we're going to go to Lithuania uh, soon, and I'm going to get a sense of what the culture is like there. You had an earlier religiosity, and then you had the imposition of communism, and now you have what happens on the other side. They talk about post-communist societies. What are they going to be like? So 
Russia's transition to democracy was stillborn. It did not succeed. Putin ends up in power in the year 2000 and, and has managed to essentially be in power ever since. Um, there was one stage where he switched jobs. He he became uh, prime minister and then and then basically they redefined the role so he could be in power the whole time. So he's been it's called a personalist authoritarianism. It's been a state around a man for 23 years. Um, he himself is a ruthless killer. The what, Whatever his personal religiosity would be is debated, but he has definitely appealed to Russian Christian tradition, Russian Orthodox support, um, to buttress his his uh you might say his popularity um he's the proto he was especially before invading ukraine the prototype of the christian strongman saying hell no to everything liberal modern secular and um and he made himself big enough to actually stop it right uh-huh yeah it's not just and talk so you Hmm? It's not just talk. Right. He has such absolute power now. Um, he has a rubber stamp parliament and a rubber stamp judiciary and a rubber stamp media and very essentially non-existent opposition parties. And if you really oppose him, you go to jail or you disappear off fall of... Fall out a window. Fall out a window, right? Yeah. Um, but But he has been admired um in the west including by people like franklin graham um for standing up for traditional christian values and this may help to explain why he remains unaccountably popular with a certain percentage of conservative folks in america and in congress and so on even today now he lost a lot of that popularity in the west when he attacked ukraine just out of nowhere with such horrific consequences. Mm -hmm. So he's not the number one guy people look to anymore because of what he did in Ukraine. But but here we have the epitome of authoritarian. I'm um, authoritarian. He's a dictator. Reactionary. Anti-everything. Anti-liberal. Anti-democratic. Anti-West. Anti-gay. Um, uh, Christian politics. If somebody can support Putin... <clears throat> Despite everything he's done, because he stands up for quote unquote Christian values, what else does the book need to show? Yeah. What did so in this in your research, what did you learn that surprised you here? Well, that that there's a um a long heritage of mystical Christian Russian Christian nationalism and imperialism that that it goes back long ago, which reminds us that rarely is anything brand new in history. <laughs> um, Ecclesiastes says those, something like that. What? Ecclesiastes says something That's about right. that. And what is the line? History doesn't necessarily repeat, but it rhymes. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there's an ideology called Ruski Mir, the Russian world, a thousand-year-old concept a, the dream of a Slavic civilization based on shared ethnicity, religion, and heritage. Um, here's uh, a scholar who says, 
The Putin regime has revised, promulgated, and debased this idea into an obscurantist anti-Western mixture of orthodox dogma, nationalism, conspiracy theory, and security state Stalinism. Hmm. So we're building, so it isn't just that we're keeping, you might say, making Russia great again. Uh, we're also making the Russian-speaking world great again. That's everybody who speaks Russian. That goes beyond the borders of Russia. So the, the full, the, the Ruskimir, the Russian world. The Russian world. And in fact, what if we think about all the Slavic peoples, everybody who would claim Slavic um, heritage? We want to help them be great, too. Um, we're going to re-Christianize all of these lands, re-Russianize them, re-Orthodoxize them. Reunionize them? <laughs> Reunionize them, perhaps. Um, and so reputable scholars suggest that Putin's real vision was to reclaim as much of the old Soviet empire as possible. A lot of it broken off, you know, after the fall of mm -hmm. Russia, fall of USSR. Once they couldn't exert their power. Right. So, you know, take take the Baltic states again and, and take Poland again and take, you know, uh, the southern Stan countries again, like Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and uh, Georgia and whatever. Take them all back and reimpose now, not communism, but a kind of a orthodox russian nationalism um uh and at least that's the ruling the kind of the dominant ideology that has been articulated to defend what is happening can we can we also note uh minorities are always trampled in this vision hmm. the main target is lgbtq people but um Minority religious communities are not part of this agenda, like, say, Protestants or Jews or Muslims. Uh, minority non-Russian ethnicities are not really part of this project unless they're willing to just be gobbled up. This is a nationalist, ethnic, religious, imperialist, aggressive, militarist, anti-West ideology, all of it. And some people like that. They want they 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 have resonated with that. They but but the chapter goes on to show that again that the the action has moved elsewhere in terms of heroes to imitate because Putin uh, has lost a lot of his credibility since he now has the blood on his hands of another two hundred fifty thousand people at least because of invading Ukraine in two thousand twenty two. What is it that you think? What are we missing? As we watch this drama unfold from the West, thinking of the, from 2000 on, the Putin experience, what, are, what do we fail to understand when we look at it? People are willing, Christian people are willing to turn a blind eye to obvious violations of truth, of human rights, of justice, of right and wrong. If they can be persuaded that in the big picture, the person that they are supporting will give them what they most want in politics. So moral, how about if we say, well, we used to be told, remember, watch out for those moral relativists. 
they don't believe in absolute truth. Many Christians are becoming moral relativists when it comes to the leaders that they like because they promise the big dream that these folks want. I remember being taught that it is always the bad guys who say the mean ends justify the means that that's yeah. always the bad guys. Yep. And here it's, it's our people. So the so, ends justify the means as long as the ends look the way we want them to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and you see this in polling, like, um, when Bill Clinton was president, if you asked people, do you believe that personal morality and personal character is important in a president? You know, and vast majorities of white evangelicals would say, absolutely. And you ask the exact same question in the Trump era, and the numbers drop by like 50%. And you, you hear, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, not old enough to have participated at the time. Um, I remember hearing from... Uh, Democrats defending Clinton that he's a president, not a pastor. And now I hear that same language. Yeah. You know, moral convictions, sturdy moral convictions appear to be an endangered species, uh, even among Christians. And politics, uh, getting swept up in politics in that way, um, including authoritarian, reactionary Christian politics, uh, goes a long way towards knocking the sturdiness out of people's convictions. I saw just this morning, um, you know, somebody at a Trump rally or whatever was interviewed and asked, um, hey, don't you have a little problem with, um, like, the affairs and the, you know, the criminal indictments and the, all that? said, you know, well, you know, being Christian doesn't mean you don't cheat, you don't have affairs, you don't lie, you don't curse. It um, it doesn't mean that. I mean, it just means that, you know, you're you're forgiven. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So you watch people improving their ethics and theology to adjust to 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 their political convictions right we talked about this in the previous episode about uh when we were talking about the kirchenkampf in germany a little bit the fight between the the traditional christian church and the nazified church the we do not rise to the occasion you never rise to the level of your expectations you fall to the level of your preparedness and we have not trained our people to have a robust Christian ethic. And so when they're pushed on it, there's, they don't, it's not that their foundation crumbles or the structure falls apart. They didn't have any. It was a house of cards. It was paper. It, it appears that way, uh, Jeremy. Um, another way to say it is <laughs> irresistible force meets very movable objects, Ooh. right? You know? <laughs> And the way people's political passions appear to be much stronger than their moral convictions. You know, Bonhoeffer was often derided for being too rigid, too dogmatic, too unyielding, too uncooperative. You know, he was a 30-something guy watching his elders 
crumble up and roll over and play dead before Hitler and the and the, the his his movement. And I remember he really wrestled with um like is it just me? Like why am I like why am I so clear that I, you can't cooperate with this in any way? And a lot of highly respected people in my world are not as clear or not clear at all. Um, my so, pastors, my seminary professors, yeah, they've all done something that seems so out from what they told me I should be. And Did I misunderstand? That, isn't that a lot of people's experiences right now? A lot of 30-something folks looking at their parents, their aunts and uncles, their grandparents, and and some of the stuff they're willing to bless, some of the stuff they're willing to support. Like, you taught me better than this. I've heard that over and over. And some of that's in my own story of my, my moving on certain issues on LGBT inclusion, that the, the, the framework that let me soften was the the training that the evangelicals had given me. They made me too good at the Bible. They put so much Bible into me that I had the tools to do the work. I was taught to take... I was... (laughs) Biblical literalism deconstructed itself in me by its own tools. Um, I was taught to take the Bible deadly seriously. And I have... And it's led me to a place different than I started. And a lot of my peers also, look around and they've gone on similar journeys and they're like, you, you told me that I have to obey Jesus. And now I read yeah. what he says. And if I say it out loud, you get mad. Yeah. Yeah. Those radical things like love your enemy. Yeah. And then most of those 30 somethings, they walk away. It's true. It's obviously not real if we can just throw it out so easily. And then you have the church sitting around scratching its head. How do we, where are all the young people? Maybe fog machines, if we put fog machines in. (laughs) I just read a new book from um, Denmark by a guy who uh, is making that exact argument. It's not about fog machines. Um, It's about kingdom-oriented radically inclusive churches. Mm-hmm. I've always told um, people that in youth ministry, I've been in the, I did 16 years in youth ministry and I always told people we can't win by being more fun. Stop, stop budgeting all of this money for TV giveaways and video game studios and big stage and big band and the lights and the sound. Like these things are good. They're nice. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them. There can be, but not on their face. But that's not how we're going to win. You can give me a million dollar budget and I cannot be more fun than a cell phone. Right. The The place we can win is in the arena of truth. And, and we have Jesus. The mall, I used to say the mall. No one cares about the mall. But the mall did not have Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus. I, I, I do ministry on TikTok, but Jesus is not in TikTok the way that Jesus is an authentic community. Right. Right. Um, so maybe we wrap this one up by just saying part of authoritarian authoritarianism is the mesmerizing appeal of the strong man, almost always a man, 
the strong man who promises to restore law and order the way you wish it was. And if democracy is a casualty, so be it. Um, and Putin pioneered that in some ways. His nearest neighbors always knew they didn't want any part of it. And now some of the rest of us are seeing how bloody this project can become. Excellent. Thank you, David. Friends, we will be with you again next Monday as we continue our uh, trek through the book, Defending Democracy from Its Christian Enemies. This second half of the season, we're looking at, so we're doing case studies is what we're doing. Um, the book, it goes very in depth with these. David did some brilliant historic work, which is fun to watch. That's not the primary field where he does most of his work. So it's really fun. Um, and here we're sort of giving you more something else, something different, something to go alongside of. And I'm really enjoying these conversations. So I hope you are too. You can find David and I on our respective websites and on basically all social medias. We're out there all over the place. I just mentioned TikTok. Uh, you can find me as Pastor Jeremy Kennesaw on TikTok. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So reach out with questions, with thoughts, with pushback. We, we genuinely want to know what's going on out there. So thank you. We look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to having you back next time on the Kingdom Ethics Podcast.